Thank you for joining us for another powerful message from the teaching ministry of Destiny Church. We hope that you'll be challenged and stretched to grow through today's message. But most of all, we hope that you'll encounter the Father's love. If you're in the greater Mobile Bay area, please join us for our weekend worship celebration. Or if you're looking for a church family excited for a revival, please come join us in bringing heaven to earth. We're going to dive into 1 Corinthians chapter 12 as we are still continuing. I believe this is the last Sunday in this series called The Healthy Church. And many of you know that we've all had church experiences where we know that we were not in a healthy church. And so here's one thing that I want you to understand. When in that first series of uh, first message in this series, if you were here, you can go online if you didn't hear it that Sunday. But we talked about the ecclesia, that a healthy church is made up of many members. Paul talks about that over and over throughout scripture. And so what makes up a healthy church are, are the people healthy. You listening to me? Are the people healthy? Because a church will only be as healthy as the people in it. If you've got an unhealthy spiritual leader, that's going to really determine the course. An unhealthy spiritual leader will sink the ship faster uh, than, than anybody else. It will, it will, the ship will sink at a faster rate than anybody else. But if the people are unhealthy, it might take time for the ship to sink. But I can guarantee you that when we get together, there will be schisms, there will be conflict, there will be disunity. I've been a part of churches like that before. And a lot of times, it's not, when, when we think of disunity, we don't think, we think of like conflict. But friends, that's not always the case. Sometimes disunity is just not being unified in one purpose, one goal, and one vision. I've been a part of churches, and at times destiny has, been, uh, has, has had that unhealthiness in it where uh, leadership did not have the same vision, that we had multiple visions going on, and that never leads to a good place. Either somebody's got to get, get in alignment or somebody's got to get off. Are you following me? That, I, I, I'm sorry, I know that, is, uh, that bothers people when I say it from time to time, but I'm just telling you what Paul tells us in Scripture. He talks about Demas who has deserted him. He talks about different ones up under his ministry that were not in alignment, and Paul had to part ways with them. And so when we, uh, I mean, Paul even goes so far as to say, we cut some people off. We cast them out of the fellowship. Now, I've never had to do that before, uh, but I have threatened to do it. Pastor Rife, are you serious? Yeah, I am. Like, it's my job to protect this house. It's my job to protect this house. I've, I had a lady one time uh, to uh, tell me that, uh, she felt that I needed to inform the church of somebody's pr private affairs. And I said, uh, well, first of all, that's not my responsibility. I'll just take Josh, for instance. He and I are buddies. It's not my, it's not my place to expose Josh's private world. Does that make sense? Because do you, if you're the one coming to me, do you want me to expose your private world? Do now I become the chief investigator that I've got to investigate everybody's world? No, 
but I am responsible as a leader of this house. When that person told me, well, if you don't do it, then I'm going to do it. And I said, if you do that, I'm telling you, that is not my responsibility. It is not your responsibility. And I said, if you do that, you will not have to wonder if God is moving you to a different place. You are not welcome here. You are not welcome here. I said, as long as you can come under the submission of a, uh, an authority of our house, you can be here. But if you defy me and you do something that is not our responsibility, are you following me? Like, brothers and sisters, come on now. Like, if, I, if we have to go about doing that, we're going to be here and spend our whole service. Because y'all know y'all got some stuff that y'all need to, you know. I know I got some stuff. We all are in that boat, aren't we? Our goal is to just be in unity and, and become more and more like him. As a matter of fact, in, the, in Ephesians chapter 4, which is our anchor portion of scripture like that, it says that when we all work together in our giftings and when we all work together in unity, we become more and more like him. I should be more like him. That's that transformation that we talked about last week. I should be more like him tomorrow than I was today. I should be more like him next week, six months from now, three years from now than I was am today because it's a life of transformation. A healthy church is being transformed. And so today, as we talk about this, I wanna, I wanna dive into uh, the subject of spiritual gifts because in Ephesians chapter four, it begins to list some spiritual gifts. And as it does, it reminds me of, I remember the day, like when, when I, I was not saved, my family was not saved. We were just raunchy pagans. I'm serious. Like in a moment, Paul's gonna talk about pagans. But we were pagans. We, we were people without a God. We didn't know about God. And I remember uh, that little church that my parents walked into and they were just going, most of you know the story, they were just going to get the preacher off the back. They were just gonna go one Sunday. That was their intent. And they end up getting like seriously radically saved the very first time. Friends, that is why it's important that your invitation is important. Your invitation could change somebody's life forever. It's also important that you don't just invite one time because my parents, their party house was right across the street from the parsonage. That's the house that the pastor lives in. That's right beside the church. You know what I'm saying about? All right. And the pastor would come over on, on uh, Saturdays while my mom and, uh, and, and the folks that were there, they were out in the yard picking the beer bottles up and the whiskey bottles and all the trash, cleaning everything up from the party the night before. And he would always go over and he would invite them time and time and time and time and time again. And one time it worked. Man, I'm so glad he didn't give up on the second invitation. I'm so glad he didn't give up on the third invitation. I'm so glad he didn't give up on the fourth invitation because I don't know how many invitations it took but at one on, on one of those my parents go to this church we walk in and 
I see my wife and her sisters, uh, who's here today, Beth, and her friend Vicky. Uh, now, they, they, they go to a Baptist church in uh, Bainbridge, Georgia, so we're going to try to tone it down today for them, okay? <laughs> and they're going to tone it down a little bit for them. All right. No, I'm, I'm joking. They, Beth grew up uh, in that crazy Pentecostal church like we did. Well, I walked in, and I saw two uh, kids that used to go to my school, but they had moved away, and it was my wife and uh, uh, her sister Beth and their aunt Kathy, and they were on stage singing. And I mean, man, they were going to town. And I was just thinking, man, those girls are fine up there, man. They are looking good. My mind wasn't on Jesus. It was on something else. But anyway, that's a story for a different time. But anyway, my parents in that service, they get miraculously just like instantaneously saved, delivered from alcohol. My dad poured the alcohol down the sink that day. And so I didn't get Jesus that day. I thought my parents were joining a cult. It was a bunch of crazy lunatics. I mean, the, the music was going, and I don't, I don't know how those people played that piano and, you know, raised their hands, and they're still playing, and, and, you know, they're just jamming down. And, dude, the Holy Spirit, which I had no clue what the Holy Spirit was, was moving, and it moved upon the people, and there were people running around the room. It was like crazy, man. And uh, my God, I remember one time, uh, Sister Linda Norwood, I mean, she was down front and I was just this little scrawny little kid. I promise you, she shouted right out of her shoes and I felt one of them go by my head. And I promise you, my eyes were closed, but I felt something like wind go by, by, by me. And I saw her uh, getting rid of those shoes, you know, in the Holy Ghost. She was just shouting all over the place. And I thought these people were crazy. And I heard them operating in what I know now as the gifts of the Spirit, but I didn't know that then. And I heard stuff in that service that I had no clue what they were doing. I know now that those were uh, supernatural tongues and interpretations. Those were gifts of the Spirit. But I'm telling you, it was a crazy, crazy time. And nobody explained what was going on. You know, occasionally here, uh, as we hear Holy Spirit through a tongue or interpretation, I'll just take a moment and say, now what you've just just witness for those of you who have never experienced that. You can go to 1 Corinthians uh, 12, 13, and 14, read those chapters, and it explains the gifts of the Spirit. If you have any questions, please come talk to me. Man, they didn't do any of that. I never remember anybody teaching on the gifts of the Spirit. I'm sure they probably did in a message, but I was a teenager sitting on the back row trying to smooch on the girls. I wasn't interested in, in the teaching. So it took me a while before I gained an understanding of spiritual gifts. And here's what I want to tell you today, that in a healthy church, a healthy church understands and operates in the gifts of the Spirit. Listen to me now. A healthy church understands and operates in the gifts of the Spirit. Now, throughout Christendom, all of our denominations, we all have different ideas. I just spent about, uh, uh, with seven guys, I went to the mountains, we go every year, and we go up there to pray. There are Methodists, there are Baptists, there are uh, Pentecostals, there are Charismatics, there are non-denominational folks. And so we're non-denominational like us. We're just kind of an amalgamation of things. We're like a little bit of Charismatic, a little bit of Baptist, because we definitely want that good theology. We're a little bit of Pentecostal. You know, it's kind of like, it's just kind of like a, a spiritual buffet that we just all squish together and roll up and phew, that's what it becomes. And so I go up there and here's what we do. We understand that when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit, that we all have different theological beliefs. 
but we still operate as we understand. And man, we'll have uh, our Baptist guys and we'll have our Methodist guys and they don't, sh- they, they don't shy away from it. They do not practice it like we practice it, but they have seen, come on now. They have seen the evidence of the gifts of the Spirit operate and the proof of the gifts operate in their lives. One of my Baptist brothers, one year, uh, there was a prophetic word over him. Now, you know, I, I don't know how y'all do it at Bainbridge First Baptist, but at, but at this Baptist church, they don't do that. But man, the Spirit of the Lord came upon one of our guys and he said, the Lord is going to call your daughter back to her foundation. Man, he doesn't even know her, his daughter and he didn't even know a situation. Dude, he just begins to break. And the Lord just begins to prophesy over this guy. He doesn't say anything about it. And a year later, when, he, when we're giving testimonies, what have you seen God do? He said, man, last year, one of you guys spoke a prophetic word about my daughter Dude, she was living in sin. She was away from God. She was in all of these ungodly relationships. The Lord brought her home. You see what happened? He saw the evidence. He saw the evidence come to fruition in his life. When that proof comes, it validates the gift. In another situation, we were up there, and this other brother who, they don't practice this in their church. uh, uh, Someone prophesied over them, uh, this particular brother, and said that the Lord is about to release you into a new calling. Man, just a few months later, that guy, and I, can, I feel like I can share his name with you, that, that guy is Pastor Jeff Copeland, who was pastor of Robertsdale First Baptist, who has been at that church for over 25 years, and we didn't know that he was going through a, 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 a time of change in his life, and he felt uh, compelled and called to a particular area. That prophetic word released him into his next season, and now, out of that time, was birthed in the last year, Kingdom Bridges Ministries, which is a, uh, a, a ministry that is doing a lot of ministry in the Ukraine and Moldova uh, and Romania right now. And so you see what I'm saying? The prophetic word can go forth even if you don't understand it. But it's good thing when we have understanding. A healthy church understands and operates in the gifts of the Spirit. I've been in too many places, my friend, where the gifts of the spirit have been dumbed down. I get it. We live in a day. We live in a day. And here, here's where I am, man. I will, I will hold you accountable. I, if, you're, if, you're, if you're out in the world or if you're a believer or whatever, I will hold you accountable. And I will say, let's go with your logic. Supernatural's uh, gifts don't exist, all right? Let's just say they don't exist. All right, tell me what shows you watch. I watch Supernatural. Really? Hmm. But that's supernaturally dark. What's some of your favorite shows? Oh, I I love, uh, I don't even know what they call it. What's the vampire movie, the sexy one? Twilight. Twilight. What's your favorite? Yeah, Twilight. Well, that's, that's supernatural, but it's dark supernatural. I'm telling you what, man, people have no problem believing in the supernatural on the dark side. Shay and I went off on this uh, uh, teaching conference and uh, I really wasn't at the conference. I was just there to enjoy the benefits of my wife being a teacher. Uh, 
And so we were in New Orleans at this conference, and during the free time, uh, the teachers, uh, we would walk down through uh, uh, the square where, um, I don't know, the big white church, you know where I'm talking about, and uh, Jackson Square, and all around Jackson Square, they've got their uh, wares set up, uh, painters, uh, you know, people with different kind of fabrics and, um, you know, things that they make. And there's uh, fortune tellers there. And so some of the teachers wanted to get their fortune told. All right? Isn't it funny that we will not believe in prophecy within the church, but we'll believe in prophecy outside the realm of the church? We won't believe prophecy that comes from the Lord, but we'll pay $10 to tell, uh, for them to uh, tell you stuff that they do know. I mean, the demons know. They see us. They see how we live. You know, they have assignments on our lives. So, of course, they know you ain't Murtis's name. Of course, they know your Uncle Tom is an alcoholic. Of course, they know because they know your history. Why? Because they are assigned to you. Do you understand that if God himself assigns angels to us, the, the counterpart, the, the, the counterfeit, I should say, not counterpart, the counterfeit, if God in Psalm 93 or, or Psalm 91, if he, if he assigns angels or our protection, the, the enemy assigns fallen angels for our demise. Be sober, be vigilant for your adversary walks about as a roaring lion. Yes, that stuff is real. That's why you don't play with that. But the thing about psychics, psychics can only go so far because they can only tell you what, what they know from here past. Only God can go from here forward because, because prophecy is foretelling. But what psychics do, they make it look like that they can tell you what's in the future. They'll lie to you, do whatever they can, tell you a little bit of truth here so that they can lie to you and get you to buy in to that truth. I had a pastor one time to tell me, he's like, we just can't use uh, any of those gifts in the service we, so we don't, we don't allow the operation. I'm, I'm like, dude, come on, man, just shut up. Are you kidding me? You won't allow? Because the last time I checked, Paul said, quench not the Holy Spirit. The last time I looked, Paul said, don't dismiss the gift of prophecy. Don't dismiss the gift of speaking in tongues. And yes, there are cessationists that believe that that stopped with the original apostles, the foundational apostles, but there is literally nowhere in scripture and we can disagree on it all day long. You can make the scripture say whatever you want it to say, but when you get into the word of God and you truly begin to look at the word of God with eyes to understand, you will find out that the gifts of the Spirit are in operation in the church today. And we cannot say that we won't allow. We can do it, but we shouldn't do it. Can we do it? Yes, because the Scripture says the Spirit is subject to the prophet. The Spirit is subject to the one whom the Spirit is operating through. If the Spirit of the Lord is operating through me, I can shut it down. But we made a decision at this church that we're not going to do that. Pastor, I'm telling you, 
If you keep doing that, you're going to turn people away. I don't know what to do about that. All I can tell you is we are going to be a first century church. The book of Acts is not closed. The book of Acts is an open book that is still in operation today. I don't mean to offend anybody. I don't mean to uh, dismiss anybody and their theological training. I'm just telling you that we are going to be a full gospel believing church until the day that I am not here anymore. Either the Lord's going to take me away through death or I'll retire and somebody else will stand before you. But I promise you that person's going to be vetted already. You follow me? We ain't just turning this place over to somebody else to do whatever they want to do. Whoever follows in my footsteps is going to be vetted. We're going to know what they believe. We're going to know how, they, how they've been trained. We're going to know how they operate. But a healthy church understands and operates in the gifts of the Spirit. Proverbs 3.5 says this. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Who are we trusting in? The Lord, we're trusting in the Lord. And do not depend on your own understanding. A, a healthy church understands and operates in the gifts of the Spirit. We understand. There are times like when I go back to those days that I walked into that Pentecostal church and I knew nothing. I did not have an understanding of spiritual gifts. I didn't understand, but what happened is I began to trust the Lord because I trusted people in their walk with him. I began to meet and make friends and acquaintances in the church that operated in the gifts. And because I knew them and I knew their life and I knew their integrity, I began to trust the Lord even though I didn't understand it. I'm telling you, I've been through all of these things. I've been through the whole tongues and interpretation thing. I've been through the prophecy. I've been through all of these. Why does God do this? Why does God not do this? Why does he do this in this situation and not in this situation and blah, blah, blah. I've, I've been there, but I have come to the place when it comes to spiritual gifts that I just trust the Lord. I trust what his word says and I don't trust my understanding because my understanding is not complete. As a matter of fact, Paul, Paul even says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that he says, listen, everything, this is Paul, the most learned person uh, who, uh, uh, in the New Testament that has written most of this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul says this, he says, listen, most of what I know is incomplete. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? The man himself is saying, listen, most of what I know is incomplete. I can, I can lead you to a certain place, but after that, we're gonna have to have a fresh revelation. We're gonna have to have God give us more download. Paul himself is saying that there are times in your life, everybody in this room, we are at a place where our understanding of spiritual things are, is not complete. Every single person in this room, when you meet people that think that they know it all, you better watch out. Don't receive a lot from that person because that person has, has become arrogant and they think they know it all. Listen, every leader truly understands that there is a place in my life that I have yet to go. Are you following me? There's a place in my life that I have yet to develop and grow deeper. And so he says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't depend on your own understanding. Why? Because this is what the scripture says about our understanding. It says that it, there is a way that seems right to a man. 
That, what that really means is there is a way that seems like, man, I am, this is my solid belief, and it ends up leading to death. I want you to think about people in your world right now that they are apt, think, listen, think. People in your world right now that they are absolutely 100% convinced the way that they are living or the way their school of thought, their training, is absolutely spot on and they are dead wrong. Now, I can think of some people because I think about this all the time. You may struggle a little bit, but do you have somebody? I mean, they're convinced that they're right, but they're dead wrong. That's what our understanding will do. So we submit our understanding to the Lord and we say, God, we trust you. I want you to look at this. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul, we're gonna go there in a minute in your word, but I just wanna highlight this very first verse. 1 Corinthians 12, 1 says this. It says, now, dear brothers and sisters, regarding your question about the spiritual gifts or special abilities that the Spirit gives, I don't want you to misunderstand this. What Paul is writing, 1 Corinthians, and, and let me just break it down to you. Give me, can I just give you a little background and history here? This is actually probably, the well, we know it's the second letter, but there's three, maybe four uh, correspondences that Paul wrote to Corinth. In 1 Corinthians, we know that it's really the second letter because Paul refers to the first letter. We don't have it, but we know it exists because he said, in my first letter, but we don't have that because if the, his first letter, this has at least got to be the second or later. So in 1 Corinthians and then in 2 uh, Corinthians, they believed, theologians, now th I, I ain't this smart, but theologians believe that 2 Corinthians is actually two books put together because of the tone in it, uh, between different chapters. His tone separates and goes a different direction. And whether it is, I, it really doesn't matter to me, and I don't care a whole lot about that. But 1 Corinthians, he says, I want you to understand. I don't want you to be ignorant. Uh, in some translations, it says, you've asked me so you understand. During their time, they, they, don't, they can't whip their phone out and text questions back and forth. They don't have Instagram and Facebook. They have none of that. So they literally have to write letters, send it off by messenger. It could be months, sometimes maybe even a year or longer before they get a response back. So you understand, between 1 Corinthians and, and, and well, the original letter to them and this one that there's correspondence from the Corinthians back to Paul and it's back and forth back and forth and he says in there he says you guys have had some questions about special abilities he says I want to answer your questions because I want you to know what have an understanding and I don't want you to operate in ignorance because right now y'all are operating in ignorance Y'all couldn't handle Paul as a pastor. I'm just saying. I don't know that I could handle Paul as my, as my leader. But Paul, man, he was just brash. And he said, right now, you guys are out of order. You have to understand what was happening here. In Corinth, Corinth is a very, uh, most of these places where they were planting these churches like Ephesus and Corinth, these were very wicked places. Corinth was actually an into intellectual uh, center where a lot of the Gnostics or Greeks 
philosophers. They came there. There's lots of pagan religions there. So a lot of these people that are becoming Christians are recent pagans. Are you following me? They've just recently converted. So now they're going from the concept of multi-God, like polytheistic, to one God, monotheistic. So they're, they're in a place where there's lots of sexual sin, and now they're coming into the church, and they're having to learn, mm -mm -mm, we don't do that in this religion. I know y'all worship that way, and y'all even get jiggy with it in y'all's worship services, but that's not how we operate in Christendom. So they're having to, to figure out, and uh, you have to also understand this, that they're not meeting in church services like this. They're meeting in groups of maybe 10 or 20 or 30, like that would be a big group, and they're meeting in people's homes all throughout Corinth. So when he says the church at Corinth, it's maybe, you know, 10 or 12 or however many house churches, and they're operating in different ways. So when you read the, the book of Corinthians and it says, uh, it's not good for a woman to speak in church. Mm-hmm, tell them, preach or preach. Don't be speaking out, women. Y'all ain't got no place in the church. That is not what that means. In Judaism, still today, and in many other uh, uh, types of faith, the women sit on one side and the men sit on another side. And what was happening is if there was a discussion or maybe something that the women didn't understand, uh, it would be, they, they would begin to like ask across the aisle and it's like it becomes disruptive. Don't, you, don't those people irritate you in church that they just will not be quiet? And we don't have that a whole lot at Destiny, but every now and then it's like, dude, come on. Save it for after church. That's what was happening in the Corinthian church. Paul says this. He says, be silent. Don't ask your questions in church. Wait until you get home and speak to your husband in the home. Ask those questions at home because your husband will be able to answer those questions for you. Men operated at a higher level in a theological training. I didn't make this up. It's not misogynistic. It's just the way the culture was. So women, if they didn't understand, Paul says, I want you to be quiet because y'all are making a disruption in church. Every one of y'all know that there's one person in every group. Y'all know what I'm fixing to say? Every group got one. Lord Jesus, please help them to be quiet. They got something to say about everything and we was only supposed to discuss this one part 10 minutes and we 30 minutes later. You know, that's some of the stuff that was going on here and Paul is trying to give them an order. Not only were they doing that, they, they were abusing the gifts and they had this fixation. Come on now. You know we can identify with this. They had this fixation on speaking in tongues. Now, I'm gonna tell you, in the church that I grew up in, we had a fixation on speaking in tongues. Every service, somebody had to speak in tongues or we didn't have church. Now, I'm not trying to diss the church and my heritage that I grew up in. I'm just telling you like it is. The truth is the truth is the truth. I had someone to uh, attend our church one time that attended our church years ago. Uh, and they said, you know, uh, Rife, do y'all speak in tongues at your church? And I said, we do. And uh, they said, well, you know, they were just visiting. <laughs> like you guys are visiting. 
you know. So it, it, it wasn't them, but it, it was as if we went to church years ago together, and they came into the church, and there was no tongues or interpretation that day. And they said, well, I was just wondering, I didn't hear any today. I didn't hear that gift operate today. And I'm like, well, it don't operate every Sunday like that. Like, we're not in charge of when it operates. Like, okay, Amy, stand up. You give the in tongues and I'll interpret it real quick, all right? We, that's not how that works. It's under the unction, the propulsion. It's under the compelling of the Holy Spirit. And it happens when it happens. You know what I'm saying? And every Sunday, we don't have to have a message in tongues and an interpretation of tongues. But that does happen here, occasionally. And when it happens, we're not ashamed of it. We just explain to those who don't know about that gifting, what that was about. But this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He said, friends, I would rather you speak the word of prophecy, meaning in English or Greek or whatever native language, it could be any version of Spanish or whatever native language you speak. He says, I would rather you speak in your, a prophetic word in your native tongue than in the tongue of angels because... If there's no interpretation, nobody knows what that was, and it just sounds like gibberish. But when you put those two together, I didn't make this up. God made this up. I didn't make this up. I'm like, well, then why do we even need tongues and interpretation? Why can't we just do prophecy? Well, I don't know. Why do we need 8,000 different butterflies or, you know, 48,000 versions of an apple? I don't know the answer to that. God designed it, and that's the way he designed it. But he said, when there's tongues and an interpretation, it is equal to the gift of prophecy. And I would rather you speak a, a word in prophecy, but at the very end, he says this, but do not forbid the gift of speaking in tongues. Don't forbid that. We can never stifle that gift. And it doesn't matter if we understand it in the moment or not. There are things that you and I don't understand, but just because we don't understand it does not make it true. There are equations geometrically. There are equations chemically and physically that I don't understand, but it doesn't make it untrue, does it? I'm just telling y'all, if I had to figure out the circumference of the earth and try to get a piece of metal to the moon, we would be living in a cave. That is how far my, my understanding goes. But just because I can't comprehend it doesn't mean that it's not true. Praise God that there are things spiritually that I did not understand, but... Like the Bereans, Paul says this about the Bereans. All the people groups that he would go to, all of the cities that he would go to, he says, man, we loved going to the Bereans. And this is why. They would listen to what we said and they wouldn't go, I, yeah, I don't believe that. Woo, Jesus, that's way too far out there for me. I don't believe that. What he said, the Bereans would take what we said and then they would go to the scripture and they would study the scripture out. They would hear the prophetic word, but they would go to the word, the logos, and they, they would take what the rhema was, all right, the spoken, and then they would come and line it up with the logos. 
And they would look at this and they would study this out because the Bereans were not interested in their feelings. They weren't interested in their understanding of a certain matter as it related to their past, where they came from. They were interested in the truth. The truth. And I'm telling you what, man, when I begin to look at this, I want you to understand the very first core value. We have seven core values at Destiny. The very first one that dictates our culture at Destiny, we embrace and expect the supernatural. We embrace and expect the supernatural. Now, I'm just going to speak to you as your pastor, okay? I'm going to speak to you a little bit as a prophet as well because it's a little bit of correction uh, right here. I know we embrace the supernatural, but I'm not sure we expect it. But nevertheless, this is a core value of our church. Like, it's one thing to embrace it. Like, yeah, I'm good with that. I'm, I'm, I'm good with that. It's a different thing to expect it. I'm telling you what, man, when we come to the house of, of, of God, we've lost a sense of expectation in the body of Christ. Where, man, when, when we're surprised when God heals somebody. We're surprised when something happens and it gets put back together and we, we thought it was just destroyed. We're surprised when God actually does some of the things that we speak and teach and preach from our very pulpits. We're surprised surprised when that happens. Why? Because we are not coming to church in our gatherings, whatever that looks like, small groups, women's groups, men's groups, where we're expecting the supernatural to show up. Man, we should expect the supernatural. When it happens, we should embrace the supernatural. We should begin to uh, look at what, what the supernatural is, if we don't know what that is. Look at these scriptures. Ephesians 6, 12. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities in the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in heavenly places. Listen to me, church. Like, you and I live in a supernatural world. People that are living out there that aren't, uh, aren't believers, they still are living in a supernatural world, but most of them are dominated by the darkness, by the dark side. But we live in a supernatural world, and when you and I are operating in a world, the scripture says we are not operating with flesh and blood mortal enemies. We are not operating in a world just made out of nature. There are two sides of this thing. There's a good and a bad. There's a yin, if you will, and a yang. There is, there is a light and there is dark. And so as we fight, we're fighting with spiritual weapons, gifts of the spirit, spiritual weapons. And look at this, for 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse four says, we use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. These are the kind of weapons that we are using. There are some weapons that will not operate in the natural. It will only take you so far. Spiritual gifts, I'm, I don't have time to go into spiritual gifts, but basically these are the passages with the exception of the last column. I didn't have room to put all of the uh, different passages. They're just from miscellaneous passages there. I think First Peter is where uh, the celibacy one comes from. But these are the four uh, areas of different types of spiritual gifts. Many times we've been taught in church. How many gifts of the Spirit are there? Nine. 
right? That's what we've been taught. That's incomplete. There, there are many gifts of the Spirit. And if you look throughout this, well, Pastor Rive, how do you know that it's uh, gifts of the Spirit? Because the same word charis, charismata, that is used for the nine gifts of the Spirit are used for the others of these. And so these are all of the gifts of the Spirit that we can operate in if we choose to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. There are a lot of people that have an understanding of the gifts of the Spirit, but they're not operating in them. Vice versa. There's a lot of people that operate in the gifts of the Spirit that they don't understand them. You follow me? I mean, man, what a travesty it would be if I came up here with the M16. I don't know nothing about this weapon, but I'm fixing to go to town. You know, you, have you seen those people on YouTube that they're firing a gun and, you know, they've got the, 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 the butt of the gun above their shoulder or under their shoulder or whatever. And you've seen like when they shoot that thing, they are shooting it, they are operating it, but they do not understand the weapon that they are operating in. And so many times we'll see people operating in the gifts of the spirit. And you've probably heard this before. I heard it uh, a long time ago, but they said, you know, dude, you're not operating in the prophetic. You're operating in the pathetic. Like you don't have an understanding of the gift of prophecy and, and uh, gift of prophecy is not for you to come and dress somebody down in public. Are you following me and tell you all your negative, nasty stuff out in front? No, you just ignorant. Sit your tail down and let a true prophet prophesy. You just standing up trying to, you know, make a, a draw attention to yourself because the gift of prophecy, the scripture says, is for the gift of encouragement. It's the gift of edification. No, no, I, I've had, we've had people in my younger days come through our church and it's like, I've told you this already, man, I didn't want to go to church to the revival. Why? Because the prophet is coming. This evangelist operates in the gift of prophecy and, you know, he'll call you out. He'll call you down. He'll tell you what you're doing. And I'm like, I've been doing too many bad things. I ain't going. I don't want him to call my stuff out. Are you following with me? Am I the only pagan in the church uh, that, that lived old pagan life that was scared of the prophet? Listen, a true prophet would never dress you down. A true prophet would never embarrass you. A true prophet knows and understands how to operate in the gift. Like you, you can address something in somebody's life and not embarrass him in front of the congregation. Even if it's like, Sir, the Lord has revealed some things to me for you. I'm going to be here for about 20 minutes after service. Could you and I talk in private? You take that person off, you prophesy, and you reveal any words of knowledge, because that's what that is. If somebody's truly operating in that, it's a word of knowledge. You go off to the side, you operate in that. You've saved the man his dignity. You've, 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 uh, You've proven to him. You've proven to him that there is a God who operates in the supernatural. You follow me? And most, can I just tell you, most of the time, this is how it is with me. When God operates with me with a, with a word of knowledge, most of the time, I don't even know it's a word of knowledge. I just begin to speak to the person and I, I'm like, I'm just telling them what, you know, as God's leading me and the Lord confirms through them that it was a word of knowledge. Are you following me? It's like, man, the gift is not for me to look big. 
The gift is not for me to look powerful. The gift is for the believer to edify them. So the spiritual gifts that we have, again, won't go deep in that, won't go deep in that. But look at this. Let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I'm only gonna read a few, a, a few lines of it. Let's go to the very first verse that I've already put on the screen. Now, dear brothers and sisters, regarding your question about the special abilities that the Spirit gives, I do not want you to misunderstand this. Verse two, you know that when you were still pagans, you were led astray and swept along in worshiping speechless idols. Stop. So what he's saying here is that for those of you who used to be outside of the faith, that now you are inside of the faith, you had a totally different spiritual experience. You've come into the faith and you know when you were outside the faith that you got uh, led astray into false doctrine, into pagan theology. And that pagan theology uh, affected really all the different areas of your life. They were coming into the church now and he's saying, what's happened, there has been a transformation to take place and you can't bring that in here. Now understand, he's already talked in 1 Corinthians 5 and I believe it's 17, uh, where he says, any man who is in Christ, he's talking to these same people, he's a new creation. Behold, all your pagan ways are gone and now you're a new creation. You are a, a baby Christian and you're fixing to begin to be developed. But if you don't renounce those old old ways, if you don't renounce those things uh, of, of your past life pre-Christ and you bring those into the church, listen to me now because I'm not just talking about sin, I'm talking about mindsets. A lot of times you'll bring mindsets from outside of the church into the church. Now let, let me give you an example. Now when I was raised up, we talked about everybody, mostly behind their back some of them to their face, you know, just depending on if they were family or not. But most of the time, we talked about people behind their back. In the church, we talked about people behind their back. When I became part of the church that I was a part of, that I got saved into, I realized that it was common culture in our church to talk about people behind their back. I would go to lunch with people and they had the pastor for dinner and I'm not talking about they invited him. They had him. They ate him up. Chewed him up. Talked about the preacher. I can't believe, you know, just, just ate him up. Well, listen, what happens is that is a pay, that's an outside thing. Don't bring that now inside because what you do, you corrupt the culture of the church. You begin to break down the unity of believers. And y'all know I love to get off on unity because Psalm 133 says unity brings the anointing of God. If you're disunified, God is exiting the building. Ladies and gentlemen, Holy Ghost has exited the building. Because he's not going to be a part of that. God is not going to bless that. So when you see the outside, what do I bring? Have I truly like just negated all of my past, the, the backbiting, the sexual things that I did, can bring that into the church. I've had to, I, I've had to tell young men, I'm sorry, you're not gonna do that here. Can I just put it bluntly for y'all? Y'all know it's fixing to come out. You are not gonna be a Christian whore in this church. 
You, you, you are not gonna do that here, my friend. There are young single ladies. You, you are not gonna be, a, uh, you know, uh, uh, try to be a godly gigolo because there ain't no such thing. And you're not gonna be able to do this. Listen, that might have been your pre-1 Corinthians chapter five life, but now that you have come into the church, that's gotta go. We've gotta work on that. I will help, I'm not saying this is condemnation. What I'm saying is I will help you overcome that because that and this have nothing compatible. Darkness and light have nothing compatible. And that's what he's saying here. He's saying, brothers and sisters, in your pagan lifestyle, you were led away, swept along into worshiping speechless idols. And verse three says this, so I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. This is really, 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 really important. Because see, what we'll begin to do is we'll, mm, this is fixing to make somebody mad right here. But what, we'll, what we will do, we'll begin to listen to people like Oprah Winfrey and we'll begin to take counsel, godly counsel. But Oprah Winfrey cannot be a godly counselor. Why? Because she has embraced witchcraft. I'm sorry if that hates you, hurts your feelings. It ain't no racial thing. She could be Chinese. She can be the biggest honky that there is. And I can say that word because I am white. It doesn't matter what race she is. What matters is that she has mixed the two. And Paul is saying, you can't do that. You cannot do that. But isn't it funny that he's saying, what you'll do if you're not careful, you're going to fall for some, for some of these people who they take a little bit of truth and they mix it with darkness and now you've got this polluted version of prophecy. And you'll begin you'll begin to accept that into your life. And before you know it, you'll be over here off in this world. All right, you follow me? All right, put your tomatoes down. Put them back in your pockets. You ain't gotta throw any of them, all right? So look at this, look at this. Say it with me. A healthy church understands and operates in the gifts of the Spirit. Paul, as he's talking, 1 Corinthians 12 13 and 14, those are the go-to chapters for spiritual gifts. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he talks about the manifestations of the Spirit. So in, in this book, he's basically, um, he's basically laying out all the different gifts uh, that there are. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, He's not laying out the, he's already laid out the manifestations. These are the gifts. In 1 Corinthians 13, he's laying out the motive of the gifts, the motivation of the gifts. And he says, if I can do all of these spiritual things and I don't do it in love, I am worthless when it comes to an instrument of the Lord. We've got to operate in love. That's why I'm saying, if I have the lowdown on, on uh, Greg be, uh, because God has given me a word of knowledge, I can either operate in ignorance, and believe me, I've operated in ignorance before. I, I truly have. I've operated and not really understood the gift. I can either take that word of knowledge that God has given me 
and I could call him out right now in the, in, in the church if the Lord were to give me a word of knowledge. Or if I operate in love and I go, I know if I said that, it would embarrass him. I know if I said that, it's nobody's business but his own. See, I'm operating in love there. And I go, I have a word for my brother Greg. But just because God gives you a word doesn't mean that you gotta give it right then. Hey, listen, every word in this was written uh, uh, multiple thousands of years ago. And it is still active today as we can see from this message. God can give you a message for somebody and it can wait until after worship. It can wait till tomorrow because Greg was tied up talking to two or three people. It, you can send it an email. You can call him or text him on the phone. It doesn't matter how you uh, operate in that word as long as you operate in love. So in verse uh, uh, Corinthians chapter 12, he lays out the manifestation, the different types. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he lays out the motive, how we operate in the gifts of the Spirit. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he lays out the methods by which those operate. And there, are, there is an order that we operate. And man, I've been in services before where people have been out of order and, and the man of God or woman of God said, ma'am, uh, ma'am, this is not the time for that. Sit down. But, but you know what I'm saying? And there's an order, Paul says. When you come to worship, come and do it like this. So he gives us an order of worship. I'm telling you what, we need to understand that when we come to church, we should come expecting to experience God's presence. When we leave this house, we should go out of this house expecting to operate in that presence and in the gifts of the Spirit. You cannot be a teacher in today's world, a Christian teacher, and not operate in the gifts of the Spirit. Do you, follow me? Those of you who are teachers, you know what I'm telling you is true. The school system, there you'll come into contact with so many different things. I don't think I'm out of line with saying this. I'll be very kind of uh, very discreet. But my wife sent me a picture and she said, what, what does this star mean? And it's a satanic star. What does this star mean that a child has on, on their person? Those are things like you will experience Satanism. You'll, you'll experience Wiccan and witchcraft. You'll experience all kind of transgender. And, 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 and hear me, folks. This is not up, up north in Michigan or New York City. We can take a short walk across the parking lot right there. And, and right over there, there are clubs that are meeting every Friday where they are indoctrinating our children in what their pronouns are. What, what, what sex do you want to be? Like right there, friend. Don't think it's not in Robertsdale or Silver Hill or, man, I'm telling you, as teachers, I'm no longer in, in, in that public profession, but I'm telling you, there was a time when Shay and I, um, Man, my wife gets nervous when I start including her on stuff. There was a time when Shay and I, we had a student. And we were in our uh, little portable. 
And this student had all kinds of emotional issues. And, you know, teachers, they just want to, you know, counselors, they just want to kick it down the road to the next year, the next teacher, the next problem. And we're in that room. Shay brings that child in and, you know, he's under tables and it looks behavioral. Following me. It looks behavioral. That, my friend, are just the symptoms. And then all of a sudden, as we're, we're just going to pray over him, as we pray over him, that child begins to manifest demonically. I mean, you know, just, just strange things like, you know, and all of this. And man, I have him by the hands and I've, I've knelt down and we're praying. Now, you have to understand that we've got some experience and we've got some maturity and we ain't going all stupid Pentecostal crazy on this kid. My God, in the name, hey, who, hey. None of that mess. If you know who you are in Christ and you know what weapons of warfare, you can whisper it. Because your volume, you know, we get excited because our adrenaline gets flowing. But listen, your volume has no consequence over the authority in your voice and the power of the word. We begin to pray over him and we just begin to speak the name of Jesus. I can't remember how long we were in there and we're walking across the, uh, the parking uh, uh, sidewalk and we're going to the counselor and he just begins to claw at me and scratch at me. And, and I, I kneel down to him and I look in his little and I promise you, I believe, we weren't with him long enough to know, but I promise you, I believe that child was possessed. Because when you hear some of the stories that, the, that they allow those children uh, to watch and what they experience at home and you go, my God, no wonder we're having these issues because he can quote every Chucky line uh, that there is and tell you every episode and watched every demonic episode. I, I, I knelt down and I looked in to his little uh, shark black eyes and I said in the name of Jesus you be quiet and he got as still as he could be and we walked to uh, the counselor's office there was a voice of authority that was spoken over him and he knew who was in charge. He knew what spirit. When we got into the counselor's office and I, didn't, I don't think I did a whole lot of talking, but as Shay was talking and she said, well, we prayed, oh, you can't do that. She told us, we can't do that. Don't do that anymore. And I'm like, you can tell me, but I'm gonna still do it. I'm like, cause we're up in the classroom with him and, and this is what he did. I'm telling you, a Leviathan spirit on this child. He, he, we were in there no time, and he knew the transference, are you following me, of authority went from me and shade to her. So now the transference of authority went to someone else who was not going to take authority. And that Leviathan spirit comes on that little boy, and all of a sudden he's slithering on the floor up under an a, a end table just like that. And I'm like, he wasn't doing that, but he knows the voice of authority. Man, I'm telling you, you cannot be in the teaching profession in today's world and not operate in the gifts of the Spirit. These are tools for you in your profession. You can't be a counselor today in our day and time and not operate 
in the gifts of the Spirit. Are you following me? Yes, you use all your clinical training. Yes, you use all the tools that are at your disposal. But everything we do, we operate in a higher level of anointing and authority. So listen, uh, Michaela, you're not a normal teacher. You are a super normal teacher. You're not a natural teacher. Shay, you're not a natural teacher. Beth, you're retired. But Vicki, you guys, y'all are not natural. Y'all are supernatural. That you go, yes, you go in with your master's degree. Yes, you go in with your, with your bachelor's degree. Yes, you go in with your doctorate. But you go in with something much greater than that. You go in with the Holy Ghost anointing of all of that. But you can't be a counselor in today's world. You can't be even a doctor in today's world. Like, there's so much that I could say about that. But I'm telling you, when you go in, you go in with all of your natural training, and then there are gifts of the Spirit. And Holy Spirit will speak to you in situations, and He will reveal things to you in situations, and you can pray over it and never utter a word out of your mouth in the natural. Does that make sense? You can whisper it, you can internalize it, but you can be praying in the spirit and they don't even know that you're doing it in the faculty, in the boardroom, in the, uh, in the waiting room with your patient. Don't just think the gifts of the spirit are to operate in this room. If anything, the gifts of the spirit need to be operating out there in the mission field. When we come into this place, honestly, man, we really shouldn't even need a whole lot of the gifts of the Spirit in this room. I'm just processing this, so I might take it back, okay? I'm just saying this as I'm processing it. Processing as I'm saying it. In this room, you know, this is the room where we all come to where deliverance, listen, deliverance don't need to happen in this room unless Holy Spirit delivers you during worship or sometime. But we've made this to be a place. Listen, this is a place where we come and we drink Jesus in. We soak him in. We come and we worship him. We come and we bless his name. We come and we make ourselves available to all that he has for us. And now we go out. I'm not saying it doesn't happen in this room. But it needs to be happening more out there than it is in here. And for years, it's been the opposite. Very little out there and the majority here. Preacher, I just can't believe that we're not having altar calls and people getting healed. And I'm like, when's the last time you took your two hands? Hold your hands out. Look at them. When's the last time you took these and you laid them on somebody and you said, be healed in the name of Jesus. You shall live and not die. I command this spirit of infirmity to come off of you in Jesus' name. When's the last time you did that? That's what needs to be happening out there. When's the last time you spoke a prophetic word to somebody? If more of this would happen out there, there would be more people in here. I'm telling you, that's the truth. That's the truth. So, Pastor Rife, how, how can I receive my spiritual gifts? How do I receive it? Look, very quickly. One, Ask for spiritual gifts. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. I remember when I, was, uh, when I had gotten saved and I really started believing this stuff. 
I really started trusting the Lord. I was a 16-year-old kid, maybe 17. I wasn't even living right most of the time. I was living one way inside the church and another way outside the church. But God, in his grace and his mercy, allowed me to explore the gifts of the Spirit even when I wasn't living right. Because of where I was in my level of understanding. I remember I was, uh, our church had two sections. One over here, one over here. Shay and Beth's grandma sat right over here. And I sat right over there uh, with Shay's family. And I remember standing there. And I remember I'd gotten to this point where I wanted to receive, operate in the gifts of the Spirit. And I remember praying that God, God, I'm making myself available to you. Now I'm 17 years old, maybe 16. God, I want to make myself available to you because I want you to use me in the spiritual gifts. And I was really seeking the one gift because that's the one gift that our church highlighted above every other one. And guess what it is? Tongues and interpretation of tongues. And I'm like, God, I want you to use me in that. And so... God put a message, uh, or sorry, somebody gave a message in tongues. I don't know who it was. And uh, I think it was a lady named Nancy Cook in our church gave a message in tongues. And I'm like, oh, I felt like I had something. And in my head, this is what I, I did. I think this is what it is. And I begin to formulate it in my head. And I, I stop myself and I'm like, wait, this is, it's, it's got to come from God. Many times when God's speaking to you, it sounds like you. You have to hone that, that gifting in of hearing the Lord's voice. It doesn't sound like, and Rife, I want you to say to them, be unto thee. But it doesn't sound like that in your head. It sounds like your voice. And all of a sudden, as that little 17-year-old kid, I'm like, wait, wait, I, I can't say this because it's, 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 this is me. I, it can't be me. So I didn't, I promise you, no sooner did I come to the decision in and of myself that I would not do this, Shay's grandmother, Beth's grandmother, spoke the message in tongues, uh, the interpretation that was, a, and it matched what God was doing to me. He was proving to me a couple of things. One, if you won't yield, I'll use someone else. And he was teaching me, learn to trust that voice. Learn to trust that voice. And that was the beginning. So I asked and God began to give it to me. I began to examine it. I began to study what the word of God says. Thank God we, I had a great teacher, which is now my uh, current mother-in-law. You know, she was our teacher. She taught us so many things and I began to examine it and explore it. The more I explored it, the more I, my understanding grew. I experimented with it. What? You experimented with, I've experimented with prophetic words. I've experimented. How do I do that? You know, aren't you a false prophet if you get it wrong? No, you are a false prophet if you prophesy something that's, that's not true and your motives are to, to go against God and to lead someone astray. That's what a false prophet is. Even Jeremiah uh, in 1 Kings, I forget, uh, or sorry, not Jeremiah, uh, Elijah in 1 Kings, he prayed and he said, I hear a, a violent storm coming. And he, he goes and he prophesies that. And he tells his servant, go outside and look. And the guy says, nothing. He comes back. He says, well, go outside again. He comes back. There's nothing. 
my God, I must, I must have missed the Lord on that. He said, go out again a third time, a fourth time, a fifth time, a sixth time, a seventh time. Seven times he sends his servant out. And the other one, uh, the, the seventh time he comes back and he says, I can see off in the distance. There's a cloud about the size of a man's hand. And he says, hurry, go. And he gives him his instructions and a violent storm came. Are you following me? He could have gotten uh, discouraged at the second time. He could have gotten discouraged at the third time, the fourth time, the fifth time. But as Paul says, we see in part, we know in part. There are times when we have to mature in this gift. And there are times as I begin to operate in the prophetic, I, I, I have said, I feel like this is the Lord uh, wanting me to share this with you. And I said, I'm just gonna put it out there and I'm gonna leave it with you. You take it, you test it. Man, many times as I'm telling them, I don't even have to wait on them to confirm it because they're confirming it right then. Tears will begin to flow down their face and you know God is doing a moving in their life. But listen to this, you experiment with it. You try it out. You test the, 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 the spirit. You, you, you uh, practice it just like you would any other thing. Now I'm to the place in my walk with God because I've been doing this a long time. Now I'm to the place in my walk with God where I typically don't say, I feel like the Lord is saying, my verbiage has changed because I know that spirit. I know that sound. I know that unction. And now what I do is I say, the Lord is saying to you. Are you, you follow me? I had to get to that place of confidence. I had to see him come through a few times for me before I got to the place where it's like, I trust you, Lord. Look at this, engage in it. If you don't engage in the gifts of the spirit, you will lose that ability. You've got to speak in your prayer language. You've got to prophesy. You've got to say, God, I'm about to go into this place let me know if there's anything that you want me to say today to bring encouragement to somebody. Use the gifts of the Spirit, guys, in your sphere of influence. All right, a say it with me. A healthy church understands and operates in the gifts of the Spirit. Let's, let's just see how we activate this. And in just a few moments, our prayer team is gonna come down front. And please, if there's anything in your world that you want us to pray with you about, healing, salvation, deliverance, anything that we can pray with you for, come let us pray for you, all right? How can I apply this? Seek understanding. Be open-minded to the spiritual things you don't understand. Don't be like the pagans who had a certain mindset from their past that they're gonna bring into it. Listen, some of us come from spiritual places where our understanding is not complete. Be open-minded to spiritual things. Seek your spiritual gift. Begin using it, seek it out, uh, uh, seek understanding, but start using your spiritual gifts. Seek what that spiritual gift, God, what is, a, you know, I wanna be used. God, use me in these areas. And many times your personal desires are the right uh, road signs to your, like, you know, if you don't like to speak in public, then you're probably not a teacher. I'm not saying you're not a teacher because I used to get sick about speaking in public and now, you know, it's like, I can't shut up. So I'm not saying it's not. I'm just saying your desires usually point you in the right direction of your spiritual gifts. And this last one is become self-aware. Know who you are, where you are, what you're dealing with, and what gifts you have 
to deal with it. Like whenever I go into situations and when I'm ever in a meeting, it doesn't matter if it's in real estate, the bank, the school, with, when I'm with the city hall uh, praying over them, I say uh, in that thing, I, as a matter of fact, I sent a message to pastors across Baldwin County this morning and I said, remember who you are. Remember who you are and remember what you're called to do. So when I go into these places, I normally do a Muhammad Ali uh, little pep talk. Y'all don't know what that means, do you? You're the greatest. He had people around him that would tell him, you're the greatest, you're the greatest, you're the champ, you're the greatest. I do a little Muhammad Ali talk. I know who I am. I know why I'm here. I know what gifts I have. And I know what I can do in this place. God, all you got to do is say, pull the trigger and I will use it with wisdom and understanding and knowledge. I will operate in decorum. There have been times that I've been standing before the city hall and I know I can't go all stupid, charismatic and Pentecostal on them. Now I can but I know that's not the, the place. But I will prophesy over them. I don't even know if they understand what, what, what's happening. But I'm prophesying in that place because I know who I am. I know where I am. I know what tools are available to me. And I know what God can do through it. So I want you to take your spiritual gifts, begin seeking them, and begin using them.